Welcome to this edition of Rail Group On Air, the podcast series presented by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. This is another of our series done with the Commuter Rail Coalition, facilitated by Kellyanne Gallagher, the Executive Director of CRC. Kellyanne, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this uh, again. It's been oh, very valuable. Well, thank you for having us. And uh, I just wanted to um, underscore how important this conversation is, particularly this week. Uh, we're recording it during Rail Safety Week. Yes, this is true. So our topic today is positive train control or PTC. Specifically, we're going to talk about where positive train control needs to go. Our guests are Eileen Riley, who is CEO of Global Train Services and a CRC board member. And uh, many of you may know Eileen Riley from her days on the Alaska Railroad, where she did PTC there. Um, John Klein, uh, Klein Strategic Consulting and CRC's lobbyist, and a uh, multiple-time uh, appearance uh, uh, for uh, our, our third guest, uh, Jim Derwinski, CEO and Executive Director of Metra and Chair of the Commuter Rail Coalition. So welcome, everybody. Let's take a look at, at PTC, what it's cost so far. Its implementation has cost the commuter railroads upwards of $4 billion, largely unfunded. So the ancillary benefits of PTC really need to be recognized. Uh, we're wondering, is Congress going to commission an independent review so that the commuter railroads can realize a greater return on the technology investment. We're going to, we're going to look at uh, crash avoidance technology. Uh, also going to talk about liability insurance uh, premiums. So PTC 2.0 uh, has been talked about now for probably the past two or three years. Uh, uh, it's, it's where do we go from here? Uh, Eileen, would you uh, please weigh in on that? What, what, how do you see PTC 2.0? Well, as you uh, rightly suggested, we spent a lot of money getting to where we are, and we were able to achieve the safety benefits that were originally mandated. However, it's time to get the additional operational efficiencies and some additional safety benefits. So PTC 2.0 needs to move forward. We want one-man crews. We want to get closer to our stop targets, especially in the commuter industry where you want to be able to pick up those passengers and bring those trains closer to the location without having to creep up and potentially get brake enforcements. You want to be able to um, protect your backup moves. We want to be able to get to, to moving blocks so that we can move faster and our velocity can improve faster than moving on signals. Uh, all these are possible. Uh, one of the real dilemmas right now is when somebody has trouble getting their train to initialize, there's no real-time diagnostics. So it's been a large impact on trains today. We need to get, the, get that resolved. We need to get those tools out there and available. We have in-route failures that could be uh, mitigated by using newer technology like GNSS instead of the US GPS system. 
you know, would help us in the urban canyons, would help us in those areas that were going through tight locations. That would also let us put some end of train devices on our trains and know if that train is still in one piece, how long it is. Um, you know, the length is probably more critical in the freight. You know, you want to be able to bring those trains into a siding where they'll fit so you don't have to do the old saw buys. We want to protect our roadway workers with all this technology that we put in place. We still haven't provided enough protection that roadway workers don't get run over by their trains. <laughs> um, roadway workers still put themselves on the wrong track. And when we have this level of accuracy in our system as far as location, we need to be able to take advantage of it. So between the safety benefits and velocity, we'll achieve what PTC was meant to be when it, we were doing this voluntarily. Going back uh, at least 25 or, or even 35 years, if you go all the way back to the uh, Burlington Northern uh, working with the uh, uh, Ares uh, system, uh, which which uh, didn't really didn't really go anywhere. It uh, made some progress, but it just just didn't go beyond the experimental stage for whatever reason. Yeah, they were they were trying to do a lot of things. Some of the things I'm talking about, e even in the Aries days, they were trying to do moving block. They were trying to uh, equip the the end of train devices. They wanted to make sure they weren't backing up into an, a block that's already been occupied by another train. So to, to make the mandate successful, the regulations became very specific and they probably need to open up a little bit more um, so that we can now add some velocity improvements. You know, GNSS has been a technology that's been out a long time. And the FCC what exactly is, is that GNSS? I don't think it well, GNSS is, is the Global Navigation Satellite Systems, mm -hmm. and it includes um, GPS. If you get the right, you know, a receiver, you can add Galileo, Baidu from China, GLONASS from Russia. Uh, the U.S. has only approved GPS and Galileo for use in critical infrastructure. We're working hard to get approval for GLONASS. And sure, it's the Russians were all worried about what they might spoof the data or, or look like we're in the wrong location. But there's lots of mitigations that we're pursuing. And there are receivers today that are have become so much more intelligent than what PTC was implemented with. So it's, you know, a change that we need to be able to take advantage of. And we're working now, BNSF and the Alaska Railroad, receive some grant money to get the GLONASS approval so that you have a lot more uh, centimeter accuracy. You can mm -hmm. achieve getting a location much quicker than you could in the past, right? You don't lose your location because it's much more resilient to having any blockage. When you have a lot more satellites to choose from, you're gonna get a better location and quicker. And then you can put it together with, you know, correction systems, uh, RTK real-time kinematic that can increase your accuracy. Uh, and there is a available today. So the last step of making the systems more um, 
robust is when you can't get a look even with all the GNSS satellites that you can choose from you still can't get a signal that your uh, comfortable has not been spoofed or jammed or uh, somehow has been interfered with you can use the initial uh, navigation modules that have been in existence for you know quite a long time you know you would know your location when you're sitting on the track and which direction you're heading without having to move as is the case in one of the PTC systems which again is another advantage for improving velocity you can start you go whatever speed you need to go right from the beginning so inertial navigation then you would need something like that for example in a tunnel or maybe in an urban environment where you might have a lot of highway overpasses or uh, obstructing buildings or things and where you can't effectively pick up a satellite signal correct that's ex exactly right you know today the systems many of the systems will force you to stop after you pick up enough uh, inaccuracies. There are some systems, if they don't think the signal is clear enough, you lose your location and you're put into a, a reactive braking. We need to stop doing that. We need to take advantage of the technology that's been tested for years and years and keep those trains moving. I'd like to uh, like to ask uh, uh, Jim and uh, John to to weigh in on some of the the uh, regulatory or, or legislative things that uh, you're looking to accomplish. And uh, uh, for example, uh, crash avoidance technology, removing regulations requiring crash energy management vehicles, uh, lighter weight equipment, uh, less expensive to purchase and operate. Uh, not necessarily where uh, you, you could effectively purchase off-the-shelf equipment uh, that doesn't have to be heavily modified uh, to operate on the North American system. Uh, another issue with liability insurance premiums. Uh, Jim or John, would you uh, care to weigh in on that? Yeah, Bill, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the crash uh, uh, avoidance technology and basically car design is what it comes down to. Several years ago, they uh, implemented that uh, 800,000 pound crash worthiness is required on the front of the, of the commuter car and that, of course, and passenger car in general. And that, and that of course, raises the cost, raises the weight. Um, never not want it to be, you know, um, safe for the operator. But at the end of the day, with this crash avoidance technology in place, it, it mitigates a lot of what could potentially happen. You know, one of the things Eileen talked about was integrating with other systems. Clearly, down the road, um, using m many other systems, we could really enhance grade crossings. And, and that, once again, goes right to crash avoidance, where it's not just train-to-train -train crash avoidance, but literally train-to-truck, train-to-vehicle crash avoidance as, as well. And, and once again, it could um, really help uh, lower the uh, cost of building the vehicle and maintaining the vehicle. Well, that certainly seems to be the way that uh, uh, signaling and train control, uh, the, the objective has been in, in, in uh, European countries as well as probably uh, uh, Asian, uh, Asian countries. The, uh, the Japanese have been operating uh, high-speed trains, for example, with, uh, for now since 1964 without a single fatality, a single accident, perfect safety record. And that... Uh, uh, I would say technology is, re is really behind that. Would you agree? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once again, it's it, it, the problem with the United States was a non-formal um, system that everybody was using. And so as we finish PPC 1.0, one of the good things that could happen as we move into a 2.0 is things get much more standardized. And as we get things more standardized, we can try to achieve greater safety records um, as you have to integrate all these legacy systems. I think this is the cornerstone to that, that, um, that leap where maybe some more standardization of safety systems comes forward. John, let's talk a bit about liability insurance uh, premiums. Now, the, the industry, the rail industry, as we well know, has a, an impeccable safety record, um, spending billions, as we've said, on PTC and other initiatives uh, that, that enhance safety. But insurance premiums continue to rise, uh, and providers, uh, insurance providers are retreating for the, for, uh, from the marketplace. So uh, what is uh, a, what you would call a closed liability insurance pool? What, what does that entail? Where are we at with that? Right. Yeah, it, it, it's an, odd, uh, an oddity that it seems that with the introduction of PTC that uh, liability insurance rates have been moving in an inverse direction when in fact they arguably, sh you know, risk, uh, uh, you can make a very compelling argument that risk is, is going down with the introduction of PTC. Um, what has happened, you're, you're absolutely correct, that rates have been going up and going up at a, a rather shocking uh, level. And this is in the face of not having any uh, losses uh, to speak of industry-wide for many years. Um, what we are told by insurance industry experts is the reason for this is that um, carriers um, lump railroad, commuter railroad, passenger railroad in the same category with other uh, risk um, that have been suffering very high losses due to forest fires, hurricanes, uh, other natural disasters. And so we are, in effect, paying the price of um, these insurance carriers losing money in these other areas. So um, in a corresponding fashion, they have uh, they have uh, increased the rates pretty dramatically. And as you noted, uh, a number of, of carriers have uh, have left the marketplace, and of course, that's never a good thing uh, when the competition uh, diminishes. So it's it's really kind of the worst of all market factors coming into play, and we really don't see an end in sight. In fact, we fear uh, some rather large uh, and growing rates. And even perhaps some circumstances where we might not be able to reach the mandatory coverage levels. Um, some, uh, and I think Jim Dewinsky at Metra has has experienced this as well. And a, we know a number of our members have have uh, learned that they've had great difficulty reaching uh, to the to the top level of of coverage. So. Um, you know, we've we've looked at this for some time. We we don't like the market trends. What we're being told by insurance industry experts is is that there really is not going to be a market turnaround. As you may know, there's no U.S. carriers even in that marketplace, so everything is overseas. Um, and so, in the absence of a private market solution, uh, what we have done is we've we've spoken with folks on Capitol Hill 
and in the administration about the idea of creating a liability pool, one that would uh, be self-financing by the passenger railroads. Uh, so what uh, what commuter railroads now are paying in in fees and premiums to uh, private carriers, they would pay in turn into this pool. And as the reserves are built up, the uh, the pool would become self-sustaining. Of course, the the challenges early on in the first you know four, five, six years when you're building up your reserves. Um, you're exposed uh, potentially to a major loss. And that is where we need the federal government uh, effectively to serve as a backstop in those early years of establishing the pool. We believe, fully believe that once we are up and running um, with a few years under our belt, um, as I said, the pool would be self-sustaining. Uh, so we have uh, we've had these conversations. I will say that it's uh, it's not an easy issue. Congress uh, uh, doesn't often venture into uh, this world. They they do in some circumstances, as you know, with nuclear plants, they uh, uh, effectively insure against losses because there really is no private market for that type of risk. Um, but uh, I think you know it's safe to say that that uh, members of Congress and staff and administration officials are sympathetic to the issue. They understand that it's a growing problem and potentially uh, one that could really uh, uh, pose a, a risk to carriers being able to get uh, sufficient coverage. Um, the question is, uh, you know, how do we get, how do we get a solution across the finish line? And um, that's, uh, that's really what we hope to deal with in the FAST Act. We did not have, much luck in uh, on the House side when they passed their version of the Fast Act reauthorization. Uh, we're we're going to go back at them again because they're going to reconstitute that bill in the new Congress. Um, and of course, the Senate has not come forward with their bill, but eventually will. And uh, again, we we hope uh, our efforts over there will will yield some fruit. The insurance environment is certainly going to get worse. So all you have to do is look at the wildfires and, and hurricanes and floods and mass destruction, uh, which really uh, has nothing to do with, with the rail industry. Uh, right. and, and you could even say, uh, you could even couch the argument or say, well, if there's a, if there's a disaster uh, for a freight railroad, for example, and uh, and a line is out of service, so the railroads have have the facility, the the uh, the financial means to uh, to rebuild lines and get them back in service and and recover quickly or reroute traffic or do whatever they need to do. And I guess it, you know, why why should the rail industry uh, suffer from uh, be be put into the same pool with <laughs> with hurricanes and and you know destruct destruction of hundreds of thousands of acres of uh, of forest land or uh, uh, well it's yeah it's it is an oddity of of i guess the insurance world and i i you know, i don't think i'll ever understand how we got rolled up into that category but it seems like that's where we're stuck and uh, right now it's not a good place to be and moving to a pool is is uh, um a, a way for the commuter railroads to begin to realize a, a control over those costs. You know, we are, um, <laughs> we can't keep going back to the well and our, our, our costs keep rising on everything. Uh, so if we were able to 
effectuate a, a way to limit the rising cost of liability insurance that would allow the commuter railroads to do more to enhance the passenger experience. Recently, something good happened, and that was that the commuter rail agencies were added as eligible recipients uh, of uh, FTA grants under uh, CRISI, which is the... Um, Consolidated Rail Infrastructure and Safety Improvements. There you go. Right. Okay. So, uh, uh, so, so crisis grants uh, could help alleviate crisis mode, and uh, <laughs> crisis is not an acronym. Okay. Right. Uh, right. So, so, let, so let, let's talk about some some of the provisions of that. Um, uh, again, the c- commuter rail agencies were added as eligible recipients, and the proposal to shift management of um, grants to FTA when commuters are the recipients uh, is something that the commuter rail coalition had uh, advocated for. Uh, so you're saying that you'd like to see a portion of this uh, program dedicated to commuter rail needs, in particular uh, infrastructure needs, and there's something called the the prime another acronym p r i m e prime program uh, uh, that could be used to address uh, infrastructure as well as rolling stock need. The prime program it was proposed in the house, uh, another capital funding program designed to address uh, a lot of infrastructure issues, particularly for Amtrak. Uh, in in many respects. Uh, commuter rail uh, did not get a significant portion of what was proposed in that funding. Um, but, uh, and we'll see, uh, you know, if that comes back to life again, uh, when the house takes up their reauthorization proposal next year. Uh, but under current law, um, the, the Chrissy program as administered by the federal railroad administration uh, now, you know, does allow, or, or we would propose for allowing, you know, uh, commuter rail agencies uh, to receive funding under that program, and and in particular, have it be mandated that a certain portion of the funding be uh, allocated for commuter rail, uh, so that you don't have some years where you know, uh, where the industry would strike out completely. You know, you could have a situation where uh, FRA puts all of the money into Amtrak related or some other purpose. Um, yes, uh, I'm looking at, uh, at something here uh, about about the uh, high-speed rail funding uh, as part of the uh, uh, another acronym, Invest in America Act, investing in a new vision for the environment and surface transportation. Talking about interested in high-speed rail. So what you're saying is commuter rail should really be included in this program, correct? Yeah, it really needs to be called out with specific funding. And, and you know, the INVEST Act was the House version. Prime was a piece of the INVEST Act. Um, we don't know what that's going to look like uh, once the House takes up the bill again next year, whether those things will come back again uh, and be considered. But <clears throat> the bottom line is, is that uh, in many respects, commuter rail throughout its history has been rolled into the transit program uh, and it and it has only recently kind of had this this dual relationship uh, receiving funding from the Federal Transit Administration and now of course some funding from the Federal Railroad Administration mainly through things like the Chrissy program um, <clears throat> and um, 
you know, I hate to use, it's an overused term, but to say that we're the red-haired stepchild of the transit industry is, is, is probably the, you know, the, the best description that we kind of, in a lot of ways, fall between the cracks and don't get that specific attention. And so that's really one of the key elements of our, of our legislative proposal is to call out commuter rail to identify a commuter rail title. We're not looking to take money from the transit industry. This is not a snatch and grab uh, sort of uh, strategy, uh, but rather one where we are trying to have some predictability in the funding that we're going to get and not subject to kind of the waves uh, up and down on funding for discretionary grant programs. Um, I'll stop there and let others jump in as well. Yeah. Uh, Jim, would you care to weigh in on this? No, I totally agree with um, John. Uh, you know, the, the problem before was you had the commuters, uh, and there's 31 of us now, had to latch ourselves onto an Amtrak program. And then it went through the application process, and it, it, it was really subject to something way out of our hands. So having something that eventually locks in at least as commuter needs, many commuters don't interact with Amtrak. Um, it, it's just beneficial to the entire commuter industry. Chicago, we interact with everybody, so you know we're eligible in certain areas, but a lot of commuters were not eligible the way the program was originally set up. So Eileen, a funding stream like this could be used to move toward the next version of PTC, correct? Correct. In fact, uh, when I was still with the railroad and since I've been away, we've applied for, or <laughs> the Alaska Railroad applied for, two separate grants for PTC uh, to help move forward with the GNSS approval using the, the new GNSS receivers so that you could do some of the work of PTC 2.0. So it's a perfect vehicle for uh, commuter rail to move PTC forward into PTC 2.0. You know, I, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think uh, maybe a, a lot of folks uh, don't necessarily uh, uh, see what, the, what we've talked about here or, or, or can visualize it, but, uh, you know, a commuter rail system is really, uh, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's transit, but it's not rail transit in a, from a technical sense. It's not light rail. It's not, it's not a rapid transit on a, uh, on a dedicated right away, a subway or above ground metro it's uh, it most commuter rail if not all commuter rail uh, has touches the the general railroad system in some way the freight rail and uh, there's a lot of uh, technology that's applicable to both uh, both modes freight and passenger jim derwinski knows this probably better than anybody else having to uh, ha having to interface with uh, uh, heavy, heavy freight trains from the UP and the BNSF and the CN and whoever else is, uh, is operating in the Chicago area. So, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 you could see where, uh, where this uh, uh, more dedicated or reliable funding stream is going to be, uh, going to be needed. At the top of our conversation, you mentioned how much has already been spent by the commuter railroads, upwards of $4 billion. And what our members are telling us now is that going forward, just for general operations and maintenance, they're looking at 5 to 10% of their overall operating budget um, being the expected cost for PTC. Um, and that's before we get into the new technology that's, that, that Eileen talked of 
uh, a little bit earlier. So these are costs that, um, <laughs> that need a funding source. And especially now with the challenges that the commuter railroads are going through, um, ridership revenue down to almost nothing and uh, the, the, the tax revenue that they normally can depend on, keeping up with this mandate requires a federal intervention if we're, if we're to get it done. Because uh, from a technical standpoint, and I know, uh, Eileen, you can, uh, you, you can speak to this. Uh, the PTC, as it currently exists, it doesn't replace the existing uh, signaling technology and train control. Uh, it, it doesn't replace uh, signal blocks, uh, rail joints, wayside signals, uh, uh, all the, all the uh, hardware associated with, with uh, a traditional, quote-unquote, uh, signaling and train control. So you're adding PTC. Uh, so, but it's to take it to the next level. Are we really looking at moving away from all that infrastructure and 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 all the money that's required to to keep that in a state of good repair? All these vital systems um, and and moving to something that probably has a lower life cycle cost. Certainly, we already had a large investment in these signal systems that are expensive to operate. Uh, the PTC as a non-vital overlay, soon to move to a, a mixed overlay system. It's still an overlay. Key part is overlay. So now you've added all this new technology on top of the existing technology that is expensive to maintain. But first we have to achieve in with PTC 2.0, a resilient and reliable system. You, you cannot lose your location. If you're not going to have the, the uh, signals and the circuits in place to tell you where, you've, where you are exactly, uh, whether you've moved into a block that you shouldn't, you, you cannot get away from your signal system. You have to keep it. Hopefully, you know, over as we're progressing, that will be the next step because you certainly need to reduce the cost dramatically to afford PTC and keep your rail running. Let me let me ask you uh, uh, to take a take a deep dive into uh, one technical area which has been talked about uh, uh, in reference to uh, not only PTC, but uh, communications based train control, auto, automated trains on or semi-automated in transit, and that is, uh, what do you do about broken rail protection? Uh, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a tough question. Broken rail is a, a challenge, but even if you have your circuit system in place, right, you take out the, the signal stands, you run your system based on having circuits, you're only gonna find 60%, 64, there's various numbers of the broken rail. I mean, you don't find them where they happen at joints or depending on the break, it could happen at a weld. And if it doesn't move apart right away, it could be the second or third train that might be impacted by the broken rail. So there've been quite a few studies being done by the AAR through TTCI looking at fiber optics. Uh, you know, can you listen to the sound and hear, you know, the change? And there's been quite a bit of success. Uh, so time will tell, but at this point, you know, all we do have is the circuits to tell us, you know, when we have a broken circuit, 
we have a broken rail or some other condition. And, and there is, a, you know, moving forward with technology that, that's evolving at such a rapid pace. Uh, now you have uh, railroads, CN in particular, that is, is uh, placing rail flaw detection and geometry uh, uh, measurement systems on board uh, freight cars that actually move in the train. Uh, and so, so you don't have to uh, necessarily have a high rail vehicle out uh, out there and in, in, uh, inspecting sec sections of track. Uh, the same technology could be applied to a commuter rail car, whether it's you know whether it's a trailer coach or whether it's a locomotive or a or a cab car. Uh, so maybe that's where we 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 need to move, where you're actually doing doing the inspections uh, that will pick up uh, un unseen flaws. Uh, uh, before they become a problem with a rail break, uh, all these things, machine vision, as it's called. Mm -hmm. um, that's, uh, that's our cover story in the September issue. But this is where, so this all seems to be, to me, to, it all ties together. All these systems tie together. And of course, for a commuter railroad, uh, they're all going to have to be funded in, 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 some, in some respect. And you put in this infrastructure, expensive infrastructure, uh, for the communication side of things, why not bring back your real-time data? You have a flaw before it becomes a broken rail, so you can get someone out there, slow your trains down, get someone out, take care of it. So, so yeah, it's a, another advantage of putting in PTC. Now you can take, you get this information back to people who can take care of the issue right away. So all all this this technology is is being uh, looked at. Uh, it's a lot of it is in the experimental stage, but it seems to be uh, seems to be advancing pretty rapidly. As you mentioned, um, research work being carried out by the FRA, uh, the AAR, uh, uh, the TTCI, uh, some companies working working directly with the railroads uh, as the, the CN program that I mentioned. So. So this technology is out there. It's just a matter of time before before we get to uh, get to a point where it can be reliably deployed. But it's moving quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even uh, the little Alaska Railroad has uh, systems on to detect uh, any spread in the geometry of the track. They look at their Hot Wheels. All you know the whole train trip. So before you get a disastrous bearing that you know let's wheel for fall off you can take care of it as a uh, you know preventive maintenance step mm -hmm. not as a disaster cleanup jim can you tell us a little bit about uh, what what sorts of things metra is doing uh, on on the technology front that that, that we had just discussed about uh, detection and uh, real time information and things related to safety um we're starting to look at some grade crossing um, technology pieces. Um, we're not yet at the point where they're integrating with PTC, but we're, we're definitely looking at where uh, gate mechanisms themselves are, are doing self-diagnosis and they can, they can take a look at basically when things start deviating from norms, uh, call out people to take a look at, you know, something going on. Most of that uh, comes from weather. Uh, you get a lot of this at, you know, when, when weather changes, the readings change. So um, we look at that right now as just um, something we're experimenting with. We are looking at, uh, as you pointed out, um, G 
geometry equipment right on the train car. The technology has now come to the point where 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour is no longer a limitation. And it looks like, you know, 79 miles an hour is, is, is highly capable. So we are looking to figure out from um, a logistics standpoint and even just starting even pilot this in, in short order where that uh, could be out there providing just, you know, millions of bytes of data every single train trip and um, making the railroad even um, more uh, robust. Um, one other thing I think uh, eventually, and we were talking, you talked about a lot of this, the moving blocks and potentially changing some someday of the signal system. Um, you know, as you, as you think of Chicago, um, and you, you think of all the advancements in technology in your car, be it from a Garmin system to a Google Maps to a Waze or whatever you're using as a navigation device these days built right into your smart device, the same thing applies uh, to Chicago, um, you know, we've envisioned where a freight train at the Mississippi River is basically told to do 43 miles an hour because anything faster than that's going to put it at a position where as it enters this uh, spider web of track in Chicago, it's just going to be sitting. It's going to be wasting fuel. It's going to be uh, adding extra emissions. So from an efficiency standpoint, we're, we're really interested to start figuring out what a giant algorithm would look like when, uh, you know, all of the roads are talking to each other and we can see every single movement all at once. And, you know, the algorithms in the background would almost be able to dictate based on scheduling um, all train movement. I mean, that's much, much more down the road, but that's where you start driving efficiency and start getting some return on investment. So tied in with safety and, uh, and uh, Rail Safety Week, of course, which is uh, tied in with uh, grade crossing safety and trespassing, with all the technology that, uh, as we mentioned, modern automobiles have, all the, uh, the GPS devices and uh, alert systems and things, I think the FRA is, is looking or they have some sort of a program where a, a car would be equipped with a, a system that actually talks to a grade crossing uh, and it could alert alert the, the driver to uh, to a uh, the uh, the presence of a grade crossing the presence of a train approaching a grade crossing uh, talk to the crossing uh, crossing equipment and have this all tied into one system that will hopefully uh, prevent uh, or reduce the number of uh, of grade crossing incidents. Are you, any any of you familiar with that? You know that program started back in the days of Barry's. Um, you know the dilemma has been to get the DOT to mandate to the folks that are building cars uh, to add a frequency that you could communicate the crossings blocked. You know maybe have a train that can't move give them alternate paths. I mean, it's a, a reasonable uh, technology that wouldn't take much to implement, but it's always the money. You know, how do you get money uh, available that the DOT and the rails, you know, railroads, all of them, freight, commuter, uh, passenger, Amtrak can use? Because everyone has to be able to, to implement this technology or, you know, you set up some detrimental reliance, uh, but it's, you know, it's there. It's been talked about for 25 years. Um, it's a reasonable technology to put in place. Uh, so I think it's really the funding side 
there's the intelligent transportation systems. Every uh, metropolitan area uh, transportation group has to have an ITCS strategy. And one of the mandated strategies is how do you protect those grade crossings? How do you let trains know alternate routes? When funding's available, it will come about pretty quickly. It's all doable. It's all a mere matter of having the money to put in place. And then railroads are a little bit concerned about sharing information, especially on the freight side, about where your trains are. You don't want to give the bad guys time to do something to your tracks, right? To tamper, you know, open a switch. You know, there are a lot of people out there that can get a hold of a switch. They're sold on eBay and they're pretty standard in the industry. You don't want them to open up a switch. I mean, you know, I've seen cases of people know to change targets, change the direction. The final subject that you were uh, just discussing, the highway rail grade crossings, that's one of our big priorities in trying to uh, increase funding and get more focus and <clears throat> particularly focus in Congress, focus at the Department of Transportation. And, uh, and we think we've, we've had some success there. Uh, there were proposals in the House this year to pretty significantly increase funding. Um, and the officials at the Department of Transportation, uh, Federal Highway Administrator Nicole Nason, uh, Ron Vittori of Federal Railroad Administration have all acknowledged that this is a, a big priority. We had uh, about three, just shy of 300 uh, crossing deaths in 2019. Um, and uh, it's uh, death and, and injuries uh, caused by crossing accidents is, is just, you know, way beyond where it should be and, and can uh, that anybody can be comfortable with. So uh, that's going to continue to be a, a big priority of ours. You know, now that the technology is in front of us, um, the thought processes are unlimited. It's just limited by the money. And so, you know, it is it is about, you know, the death that occurred in uh, California that really put PTC on the radar. And it is about the 300 deaths that occurred last year that probably didn't need to occur had uh, more technology go there. It's really going to be now more about breaking down um, the, the kingdoms. Uh, and, and I love when John brought it together that you know our administrator Ron Vittori and the highway administrator are now working together collaboratively. That's what it takes. Otherwise, everybody's there's not enough money to go around, so everybody's protecting their bucket. And so I think this is a great step. Uh, we're finally starting to see that um, you know when agencies do work together, we probably can advance some things that in the past have had that price tag of an impediment. Well, Jim Derwinski and John Klein and Eileen Riley and Kelly Ann Gallagher, thank you again for, for joining us. Um, we will continue this series with the Commuter Rail Coalition. We wish all of you the best, uh, good health, stay safe and well, have a safe day. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill.